Well, welcome. You are, uh, if this is your first time, you, you're a little out of, uh, out of the loop. Uh, but I'm going to try to quickly bring you up to it. It's going to become more and more difficult as time goes on because we are on a 70-some week uh, series. And thank God we're, you've come in like at the front end of this series. And this series is called uh, Vintage Jesus. And we're looking at who is Jesus Christ. Who is this Jesus Christ? Because if we are to be uh, finding our identity in Jesus Christ, the best place to find our identity is actually looking at the life, death, and resurrection of this man that we call the Savior. And so we are going to be trekking through the book of Mark, the whole, the whole gospel of Mark. And some people say it's absolutely insane and crazy to do that. But for me, if we call ourselves Christians or little Christ people, the best place to look is actually at Christ himself. We have looked at uh, the first section was John the Baptist uh, was, was coming out of the desert. And he, he did this call. He was calling people out from the city into the desert and saying, prepare the way. Prepare the way in your hearts for this Christ. Because there is one who is greater than me who is coming. One who is far greater. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. This one is great. I baptize with water, but he baptizes with the Holy Spirit. The next section, we see the Christ coming. And he, he, he doesn't have this glitzy lights and glamour. He doesn't have the red carpet treatment. He comes out and he asks to be baptized. A baptism of repentance and forgiveness that he himself does not need. But he asks to be identified with the people. So that he can offer forgiveness, offer repentance, call people to repentance. And he goes out into the desert and is tempted. After he comes out of the desert, we hear him say, the time is near. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. And he calls people. He, he introduces the kingdom of God, this new way of living, a new way of being, and saying, I'm the one, I am the promised one. And then he starts calling people. And he calls the most simple, ordinary, common people, like you, like me. He says to Peter, Andrew, James, and John, come follow me. Come follow me now. Trust me. Come follow me. And I'll give you a whole new life. A whole new way of living. And this call that Jesus has is quite a huge call. Because it's radical. It's a radical way of looking at life. Francis Chan, I shared this this quote with you last week. Francis Chan uh, a pastor that I, uh, I heard speak a couple of weeks ago, said this, if Jesus had a church in Simi Valley, which is in California, mine would be bigger. That's pretty, pretty gutsy. People would leave his church to attend mine because I call for an easier commitment. I know better how to cater to people's desires so they stick around. Jesus was never really good at that. Isn't that the truth? 
Jesus was not the kind of, hey, you know what? Whatever you guys want, whatever it takes, you know what? I'll put you up in the Hilton. I'll put you up in the Hilton. Just follow after me. You know what? Don't give anything. You're just a guest of mine. Come along. You know what? I'm going to put the best shoes on you. We're, we're, we're going to make you comfortable. You know, I'm not going to call you to any kind of high commitment. Just take it easy, boys. Just come follow me. But Jesus did the opposite. He said, listen, if you're going to come follow me, it's going to be a radical way of living, a radical way of, of thinking and breathing and living out your whole life. He's saying, listen, this life, you may have to deny your family. The kind of life that Jesus called us to led to death. And for every one of those guys, those four guys that he called, and of the four or the twelve uh, apostles, not counting Judas, all of them came to a martyr's death. And Jesus is saying, that's the commitment that I want. I want your willingness to, to give your all. Everything that you are, I want, I want it all. And this morning we're going to look at Mark chapter 1. So if you uh, have your Bible, it's Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 21. Or if you would like to follow along and you didn't bring a Bible, there's uh, Bibles in the aisles. Just kind of flag, look down the, the side, and they will pass a Bible down. But I encourage you to follow along because uh, I believe that the Word of God is the thing that... This is God's love letter. It's, it's his way of saying, this is who I am, and this is who you are to be. So verse 21 through verse 28. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because what he taught because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, in their synagogue, was a possessed a man was a just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, "What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God." Quiet. Jesus said sternly, come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching? And with authority? He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. So we got this Jesus who's calling people to a whole new life. We've got this Jesus who... Uh, there's something different about him. Something, something you can't quite put your finger on. And in the, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark was written directly so that the people can see that there's a servant king. A servant king. 
And the Gospel of Mark is shorter than all the other Gospels. The Gospel of John, you see different kinds of things come up. You see Luke and Matthew, all kinds of other stories that aren't included in the book of Mark. If you look at the other Gospels, there's different things that Jesus had done before this. He had been about preaching. He had also been to a, a wedding in Cana where he, he, he was the party master, where he said, listen, this party needs a little bit of vino. And we're going to have some good stuff too. None of this cheap Behringer stuff, you know. We are going for the best stuff in the house. And so Jesus was doing all these things. So the countryside had already heard about him. This, this Jesus, who is this guy? What is he doing? And one Sabbath, one Saturday, he was invited to teach in Capernaum. The people had, had heard about this Jesus. And I'm sure there was a little bit of rumbling going on. What, what's going on? Who is this guy? So they go through their different prayers. They go through the different blessings. They had their own kind of liturgy in, in the synagogue. And so Jesus finally gets up and he teaches. It doesn't say what he taught about. It doesn't say that he opened this scroll and he did this or he did that. It doesn't say much about the content. All it said is that the people were amazed. This Jesus is unlike any of the other teachers that we had heard. Because the teachers during their day and age, what they would do, the, the rabbis, what they would do is they would quote, well, according to Eliezer, Eliezer would say this, this, and this about the Torah. And then another one would say, oh, yes, but Gamaliel would say this, this, about, about what Eliezer would say, because Eliezer was talking about this. And so they would just quote upon quote upon quote. But Jesus came in, and he spoke with authority. That word that they were so amazed, they were just shocked. One, um, one translator quotes it as they were thunderstruck. And of course, the first thing going through my head was like my early high school days. You know, a little bit of ACDC going, nah, 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 thunder. And you know, there's that, you know, there's this pulsating, what's going on? They, they were just sitting back going, oh, what, what is going on here? There is something, this man is saying something that is shaking us to the core. And it's making me feel a little uncomfortable. What he has to say, maybe how he's saying it. And it brings me back to the Francis Chan thing is that, you know, if I would have a church in Mokina, mine would be bigger. Because I wouldn't call him for that much of a commitment. In fact, I, I don't, I really want to sugarcoat what I have to say. I don't want to push people too much. That whole thunderstruck, that whole, uh, challenging and shaking people, I, I really don't want to do it because, you know, we have certain number quotas that we've got to meet. But Jesus said, hold on. And I teach, I'm going to be honest with who I am. I'm going to be honest with the mission that I've been given. And if people need to be shook, may the shaking begin. And the people became lightning roll, lightning rods for Jesus' teaching. 
where they were shook right there. Challenged by what this new teacher had to say. And it makes me think, how, how should my teaching, how should my communication to you be like Jesus's? And then you should even ask the same question. How should your beliefs, your understanding of who you are as a follower of Jesus Christ, be like this Jesus? What would be different about how we communicate At the same seminar that I went to, Andy Stanley, who leads a, a large uh, megachurch in uh, Alpharetta, Georgia, uh, his first uh, opening session was titled, When You Know You're the Most Powerful Person in the Room. And he goes, you know what? I know that in churches today, this word power is like a four-letter word. There should be no power in church. We should all equally share. We should all equally submit. It should just be this nice, warm, loving community. He said, but listen, Jesus was a man of power. He spoke with authority. The question is, and he asked this of us as leaders, is what do you do? When all eyes are on you. What do you say when all eyes are on you? When you realize there are some 70 to 80 people looking at you. Looking for you to lead. Listening intently. Well, most of you are listening intently. But what do you do? How do we respond as the body of Christ? Because the strange thing is, if you look at Matthew 28, Jesus said before he was taken into heaven, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to who? You. The church. The body of Christ. So the same Jesus who spoke with authority, that challenged the people and thunderstruck them, zapped them with his authority, that same authority has been given to you and me. The question is, how do we respond? When this authority has been, has been given to us, how do we respond? And without shame, I'm going to look at uh, the exact, uh, in John chapter, uh, I think it's 13. John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, this is the very end of Jesus' ministry here on earth. And this is, this is the point where he is having this, this intimate moment with his disciples. There may have been some other people on the outskirts, but it really talks about he was there with the ones that he loved. This is the Last Supper. And you would think that at your last supper, this is your last opportunity to say, okay, boys, listen up. This is how it's going to work out. Just so you know, they're going to kill me. But don't worry. Three days later, I'm going to be raised from the dead. We're going to blow off 
that, that tomb door, there's going to be some uh, soldiers out there. They're going to fall as dead. It's going to be hilarious. So if you could be around, watch it. It's going to be a great story. After that, I, I'm going to be gone for a little bit. Don't touch me. Don't touch me because I, I've still got to go to the Father. But when I come back, listen, this is the great thing. You're going to be able to touch the wounds in my hand. You're going to be able to see the place in my side. And you know what, Thomas, this is what's going to happen. You're going to want to put your hand here. Okay? But just don't be freaked out because I told you it's going to happen. Just do it. And then on top of that, at the end, you're going to see me taken up into heaven. And then it's on you. But Jesus didn't do that. He didn't lay out the whole plan of what was going to happen. He said this, 13 verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the fullest extent of his love. Jesus was it. He realized he was the most powerful person in that room. And it came down to his last time of having this intimate meal. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He chose to use his authority, his power. All things were under him at that point. He chose to serve. Showing his greatest, the greatest extent of his love and compassion. And wanting his disciples to do the exact same thing. So with this, this power and authority that Jesus had, he chose to use it appropriately. And I wonder what that did for the disciples on that night. You know, Peter said, you know, Lord, what are you doing? Come on, get, get your head on. You're the master here. You're the, you're the promised one. You're the Messiah. When asked, I asked, who, who do people say that I am? You know, they say you're this, you're that. But I say, you are the Son of God. You're the promised one. You're the Messiah. You should not be doing this. Jesus said, if I don't wash it, you have nothing to do with me. I wonder how those words, his actions and his words, shook the disciples. I wonder if it just, they're going, this makes absolutely no sense. The Jesus, the great one, the Messiah, the promised one, he's washing feet. I wonder, as we model Jesus, as we come closer and closer 
to the person of Jesus Christ, where our lives start lining up with His, I wonder, will the world ask the same thing? Will there be this this shock, this awe, this thunderstruckness when they see how we live, how we act, how we love the world? Or will they just say, there's just another church. They're tax exempt. They're not offering anything back to the community. In fact, they're just kind of sucking up resources. Will we be a church, a community of faith that has authority that has been given to us and uses it appropriately? But here, here's the, the thing, and this is where it, Jesus speaks with authority. Jesus speaks outright, and the people were, they were shocked. They were amazed at this teaching. Who is this Jesus that he speaks this way? And a new kind of teaching. Then all of a sudden, something happens in the congregation. Jesus stirred something up in the congregation. And it talks about this man who is in the synagogue, spoke up. And it would freak me out this morning if the same thing happened here. But something happened. When Jesus speaks, or the body of Christ speaks, it, it should stir something up in the people. No matter what your lifestyle is, whether you think that you're the good Christian religious person, or if you are the one who is just, man, far, far from God, something should stir inside of you. And the thing about this man is that he was in the synagogue. He wasn't on the outside. He wasn't out on the streets, you know, heckling from the outside. He was in the church. He was in the synagogues. And all of a sudden he says, listen, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? What do you want with us? Something stirred inside this man. And it says that this man was possessed by a demon. And, of course, we don't like to talk about that in our North American church because that's kind of freaky and, you know, that's kind of Old Testament times. That's back then when they really didn't understand. It was just a psychosis issue. He just needed a good counselor and a little bit of medication and everything will be all right. But the Bible says, no, no, no. This man was possessed by a demon. And he said, the demon said, what do you want with us? Jesus of Nazareth, saying, listen, I know where you're from, Jesus. What do you want? What do you want? And for me, the strange thing, or the amazing thing, I should say, is that he was in the church. He was in a religious community. A religious community. And it's showing that just being a part of a group of people does not necessarily mean that your life is transformed. Just because you're here this morning does not necessarily mean that you get it. I wonder what this guy's life was like 
before he had this encounter with Jesus? Was he this hardcore boss that looked great at synagogue? You know, when he shows up to synagogue, everyone goes, Ah, it's good to see you, John. It's good to see you. And he goes, Oh, yes. Uh, let's read some Torah today. But then all of a sudden, when it comes to, to Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, when he is at his potter's wheel and he is overlooking the business of his day, he is the biggest stinking jerk out there. He could use the best four-letter Hebrew words that he could find, and he could cuss out his employees, and his attitude was absolutely nothing but negative. He was oppressing. He looked good on Sunday or on the Sabbath. He looked good, and maybe that's you. You look good right now. But you're feeling a little kind of pushed right now. It's like, mm, what, is, what, is, mm, mm. what is he calling? What is he saying right now? I think there's different ways that this could work out in our life. Maybe, maybe it's this, this oppression, the idea of divorce or malcontent. Or the, just not me. Maybe it's not demon possession that we're talking about with your life. But there is this battle that is going on for your soul. There is this battle. Jesus has won it already. But there's this constant conflict of saying, Ha ha, let me lure you into something else. This is a better way of living. A better way of relating. A better way of having marriage. A better way of this. A better way of that. Come on now. Live this way. And Jesus said to this, this man, more to the Spirit, shut your trap. Not another word out of that cake hole. Enough. I'm done. Don't you say one more word. And in the Greek, it's one word. Imperative, a command, that basically say, says, be muzzled. Not another word. Shut it. And then he said, come out of him. Shut your mouth and come out. And that spirit knew that this man, this Jesus, the Holy One of God, Spoke with authority. He said, he's out. And I wonder what was going through as that man came up off the ground. What was going through his mind? What was going through the, the people in the synagogue? What was going through their heads? Like, okay, what just happened here? We knew this guy before. There's something different about him. So the, the words of Jesus and his actions matched up. Jesus recognized that there was something not right with this man. He was demon-possessed. And I wonder if we put on the eyes of Jesus, if we could look into each other's eyes. 
if we could say, there's something not right. How can I minister to you? I, I wouldn't recommend today just going up to somebody and saying, hey, Bob, shut your trap. Devil, come out. You probably would not be too cool. But it'd be kind of freaky if he all of a sudden started writhing around on the ground and, what? You know, afterwards. But you know what? Maybe we need to be the kind of people that stirs something, that stirs up something in people's lives. That makes them question and wonder and, and say things. Maybe we need to have this authority. Todd, put up that, that next slide. This is something that N.T. Wright said. When the church learns again how to speak and to act with the same authority, when the church learns again, when we understand that again, we will find both the saving power of God unleashed once more and a similar heightened opposition from the forces of darkness. When we, when we learn to speak again with the, the authority that Christ gave us, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to you, the church. You are now my representation, the manifestation of Christ on earth now. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You, the body of Christ. If we learn to speak again with the authority of Christ and act with the same authority, we will see the saving power of God move in our community. We will see the healing power of God in our community. Our immediate community right here. We will see lives turned upside down, changed, people re-looking at things and say, oh, man, let me tell you the story of God moving in my life. This is who I was. This is who I am right now. But it requires the body of Christ, the church, to relearn how to speak with this authority. And to act with the exact same authority. Which brings me back to John 13. John 13 is how Jesus showed the ultimate way of love, compassion, of healing, of modeling. Jesus came to stop the nightmare inside of our lives. And some of you, I know, this morning or this past week or the past month have been living an internal nightmare. A nightmare of wondering who I am. Do I really matter? Is there any significance to the life that I live? Jesus is saying yes. Because your life has been purchased with a price. That's the blood of Jesus Christ. Your life does matter. You are significant. 
I'm choosing you for the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in my sight. To be adopted. To be mine. You do matter. And some of you, maybe it's just something stirring inside you is like that man in the synagogue, although this isn't written in the scriptures, maybe you're like that man in the synagogue where on a Sunday morning, you are, you put on the glossy. You know, you look, you look beautiful on Sunday morning, you clean up, you, you say the right words. You, you might even be one of the 10% that actually shows up before 10 o'clock. Yeah, you know who I'm talking about, the other 90%. But you might show up on time. You might even be part of the road crew. And you show up at 6.45 in the morning because you're righteous. You know? You're especially saved. And God really noticed your works this week. But come tomorrow morning, you're a different woman. You're a different man. And there's this nightmare going on inside your life. Or maybe it's this dualistic life. You live one way here, but you live a totally different life outside. And maybe even the people within this body, that we don't even see your other life. Because we can't, we can't hear your thoughts, we can't hear your, your wanderings, we don't hear your exact words, we don't even know what goes on really in the four walls of your own home, but you're living another life. And Jesus has come to say, with authority, there's another kind of life that I want to lead, have you live and lead you towards. Will you come follow me? Will you come follow me? Trust me. Will you come follow me? And how this ended was after this all, News about this Jesus spread throughout the whole countryside. This Jesus that has a certain new kind of teaching, a new kind of authority, and where his, his words and his actions matched up. I wonder what it would look like for us as a community where our deeds and our words, our lives, meshed. I don't want to call this church growth, but there was something about Jesus that shook the whole countryside. And we're going to see next week the continuation of this Sabbath story where people from everywhere heard about this Jesus and they came flocking. They came from all over the place and they had to come see this Jesus. I wonder what would happen if Paul Vroom's life, my words and my deeds, were married together. That every day they become more one. That people see me as more healthy emotionally, spiritually, socially, Financially, spiritually, all those things bound into one, tied together. 
as people see that Jesus is transforming and changing my life, and I can speak with authority and say, you know what? This Jesus changed me from the inside out, and I am totally different. This Jesus has flipped me upside down, and I don't know what's going on. But I'll tell you, I would not have anything else but this. It's forced me to change my way of leading people and loving people and serving people. It's changed. Maybe it's changing your way of doing business, of, of dealing with your finance. Maybe it's changing your way of how you view yourself as a human being, as a child of God. Maybe it's even changing your view of vocation or call. Maybe it is just transforming your marriage inside out where you as a husband now is all about serving your wife and loving her as Christ loved the church. Sacrificially, totally. Maybe it's for you as a wife where you are seeing your identity more lined up with Christ so you now can submit and love your husband, honor and respect him. Maybe it's going to change the way you date. Who you date. Maybe it's going to rock your world. But wouldn't it be beautiful that the second that the body of Christ, our words and our deeds, like Christ, matched up? That's my hope. That's my hope is that as we grow as a community, people who don't really understand what's going on, they say there's something other about them. There's a certain authority that they speak with. It's not the kind of authority that squashes and kills people's spirits. But it's authority that they see in our words because we know this is true. And let my life show that this is true. Because it's, I don't want it just to change you, people out there. It's changing me. The gospel is for me. This kingdom of God is for me. And it's rocking my world right now. And there's going to be this, these waves, I trust, that will just be growing in intensity as it goes out. And people will hear and people will see, no matter where you work, no matter where you live, no matter where you shop, no matter where you get your groceries, people are going to see that there's something different and the news will spread. And lives will be changed. So as we join God in this mission, as we join God in the Missio Dei, the mission of God, it requires us, requires you, requires me, first be able to submit our life to Him and follow Him closely. It requires us to be honest with ourself. Totally honest. It requires us to submit to the authority of God. 
is the authority of Christ in every aspect of our life. That's what it requires of us. It requires of us as we follow him more closely that the world sees less of me, less of Mike, less of Emily, less of Mark, less of Christian. They see less of us, see more and more the true character of Jesus Christ. That's what it requires of us. Those are my hopes and dreams for us as a community of faith. So let's pray. God, it's it's a big task to join you in what you are doing. It's so much easier for us to kind of create our own program, our own system. It's so much easier just to kind of do our own thing. In fact, it's, it's really easy, God, to be honest, just to put on that good Sunday face. But God, it's hard work to be changed. And it's really painful to be changed. But there's true joy found in the process and in the conclusion. Jesus, I just love this story of how you, uh, you came in and you spoke with authority. One that is different than what the people had received from the religious leaders of their day. Jesus, I just love how you shook people at their very core. And Lord, how your, your words then matched up with your actions, how you stirred in the hearts of a man. God, I just ask this morning that you stir in the hearts of the men and the women and the children, the high school students, the junior high students here, that you stir in our hearts, Lord, that you uh, heal us, that you free us from this, these nightmares of lives that we sometimes live. Lord, I just ask that you give us the peace of your healing hand. Lord, that you silence our own personal demons that we have in our life. Lord, that we can see your healing hand. Lord, that the world may see that there's change and transformation. Renewed lives, renewed minds, renewed marriages, renewed workplaces, renewed whatever. Lord, that the world can see that you are changed. And Lord, may I pray for this church. Lord, I pray that we again 
can see the, the saving power. Saving power of God in our community. And Lord, that our, on top of that, we can also be this community that is reclaiming our deeds for your glory. So God, uh, in our worship, in our uh, last few moments together, God, I just ask that you work here. And if you need to mess with our lives, Lord, you have full permission. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.